Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cochilillo, and before we get started, I'd like to thank the contributors to this show. Without them and without you, none of this would be possible. Uh, first, my executive producer, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger. My senior editor, Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me. Binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor to this podcast, just go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find a whole bunch of information there on how you can contribute. And now, without further ado, my guest for today is... I'm going to let you say your name. You can say my name. Yeah, you can say it. I don't want to mess it up. All right. My name is Manuela Sturza. Thank you. And you are the author of Headless Chicken. Correct. (laughs) Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for pronouncing your own name because I didn't want to mess it up. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, So you've written... Um, an interesting book on some some cool topics. Um, <clears throat> so it, it looks like you had an interesting spiritual journey in a Peruvian jungle with ayahuasca. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so would you like to share some of that with us? Sure. Well, I started pretty spontaneously in a couple years back well it's already like five six years back i was meeting a friend and this friend tends to share youtube videos about stuff people don't know too much about so we were watching this one video about ayahuasca and there's this man talking and he's standing somewhere in the middle of the jungle could be anywhere and I was listening, but um, I never attempted to do ayahuasca because I don't even smoke pot, you know, I'm a very sensitive person. But I was so attracted by the background and something in the video that I looked to put this video up and turns out it was a shamanic retreat center in the middle of nowhere in the jungle. And they were looking for a volunteer to translate for the shamans. And I knew that's me. So two weeks later, I was in the jungle. That's how it started. (laughs) You just jumped in head first. (laughs) I could feel it. I didn't know why, but I knew this is a calling. I got to go there. And I did (laughs) not plan. I didn't plan to do ayahuasca at all. I wanted to translate because I work as a coach since 20 years and all these things are so exciting and interesting. You can, you know, widen your perspective and learn more. That was my intention to go there. 
Wow. So what was it like when you first arrived to the jungle and, and met the shamans? Well, first, um, when I first arrived, I arrived in Iquitos. That's a place in the middle of the jungle in Peru, close to the border of Brazil and not too far to the border of uh, Colombia. So in the middle of nowhere, there's no streets going there. And there some somebody picked me up. And then we had another boat ride for an hour and a half to get to the retreat center. It was in the middle of nowhere and there was nothing else but these huts there, right? Mm -hmm. And when I met the shamans, there were two shamans and they always um, did the ceremony together. They said it's necessary to, to hold space. We need two. It's kind of a dangerous thing as well in terms of energies. So when I met the shamans, I just felt I'm at the right place here. And for some reason, I started participating that very night in the ayahuasca ceremony. And there was no doubt that this was not the right thing to do right now. It's really bizarre. Wow. Um, so first, can, I, can you describe what the shamans were like and how they worked and how they prepared and mm -hmm. and how they did that? Well, they were like very humble people. One of them was a shaman in third generation from Pucallpa. And he, they, they, the other one was, uh, uh, let's say, a Peruvian shaman, but not son of a shaman. And they were very humble people. One lived a regular family life, and the other one um, moved to Iquitos in order to do his work there. And uh, they were very humble. They had, they did, you know, their their diets and things. They have specific diets in order to do this work. So a couple of times a year, they retreat themselves for weeks or by themselves. And um, they don't um, eat salt and sugar during certain times when, or, you know, when they do ceremonies and they take all this very serious. Humble people. The one who is a third generation uh, person had uh, these gold teeth in the front. <laughs> and it looked like this is from, uh, they use like a liquid, like an alcohol. It's um, to kind of spray it to the people. Agua de Rosas, it's called. And I suppose uh, that's what made after the years, after years and years, that destroys the teeth or something. So he had this funny front gold teeth. Yeah, and they were uh, very quiet people, very humble, speaking slow, and very present, very earthy. Earthy in terms of two feet on feet on the ground. They also, they were like regular people in terms of they knew how to use their hands and do stuff, like work with their hands and, you know, like really down to earth people. That's how I, in their 50s, 40s, 50s. Hmm. And how did you get people ready for the ceremony? Did you give some type of um, instruction or did you use prayer, meditation, anything like that? Huh? Well, when people participated in a ceremony, which was 8 o'clock usually, 
uh, during the day, their last meal would be lunchtime. So, because it's, you know, ayahuasca comes with purging and feeling sick and all this. So not having dinner makes it a little bit easier. And just this change of not having dinner, you're already kind of preparing internally at lunchtime, you know, mm -hmm. in your mind, let's say. And then when everybody was in a ceremony hall, people would first sit down and then lie down. And uh, one after another, one would go to the front. There was a, a candle in the middle. One after another would go to the front to the two shamans and they would have the bottle with the ayahuasca and little like shot glasses and they would put ayahuasca in the glass according to what they felt was the right amount for the person. So anything between a quarter of a shot to half a shot to three quarters of a shot and they would know what they need and... and um, give it away in, uh, as, uh, adequately. And then people would lie down again. And uh, when everybody was ready, then they would go around and blow. They had uh, these hand-rolled cigars, blow steam in people's faces and all, all over the place to protect them. And then everybody was, like I said, lying down. Some people were sitting. And then at some point they would turn off the light, the candle in the middle. And, and then they would start singing what they call Icarus. And this Icarus is like a language. It's far away from Spanish. So it's a different, it's like a native language from there. Mm -hmm. Bizarre words and also sometimes like very high pitch, very bizarre. And what happened was when they started singing the Icarus, it felt like as if you blow air into a fire and the fire starts going stronger. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, mm -hmm. and then something started to move because it's super interesting. This ayahuasca is a real bitter, ugly stuff. stuff. It tastes, I find it, it tastes horrible like i can't imagine anything that tastes worse or harder to take but uh, maybe that's just me most people say so but then you lie down and the thinking mind goes hmm what's happening now let's see is this working already you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. <laughs> and then so when when they started with the icaros that's when something started moving more intensively and then you would or I would I can only speak of myself right I would more and more think less and be more and observe more so this alert monkey in the mind would kind of go for sleep while I was observing what happened yeah, it's almost like going through the eye of a needle, you know, and all mm -hmm. you have to do is totally relax and let go. And then it happens automatically without doing anything. 
wow. without big focus and all this, you know. Hmm. Yeah. So I could have saved myself a whole lot of time going on Buddhist meditation retreats and sitting for days. Well, uh, that's an interesting point. I think what really matters is what you do with this, these insights afterwards. In that sense, Buddhist meditations take you a much longer way because Buddhist meditations, you can take the state of mind, you're training yourself kind of thing, right? And you can take this into your everyday life. Yeah. Whereas an ayahuasca ceremony, ceremony, no matter what you see and what insights you get, when your regular thinking mind kicks in, it's a question of time to come back to ordinary perception of life. You see? Right. <clears throat> and that's the big difference. Mm -hmm. So people, people think, oh, cool, I'm going to do ayahuasca. You can get it all with one shot kind of thing. And then you have the big spiritual insight, maybe enlightenment. I don't think this is how it works. So, so when you took the ayahuasca and then it starts settling in and you realize that your thoughts are slowing down and you become more of an observer, then what happens? Yes. And you see weird stuff. Everybody sees different stuff. In my book, I tried not to not to describe too much because what happens is everybody has their own experiences and what happens when people share their experiences people who do it for the first time they have expectations they want to see what the other person saw the flowers and the this and the that and the you know so um and I, I, I did it at the end 19 times, which is a lot. But I was there a long time. I was there for three months. And it just happened. I just went with my guts. And the important thing I feel is to not have any expectations and be open to it. Mm -hmm. Just kind of get surprised. Like in real life, we don't have expectations we can open our eyes every day new again right right and not repeat yesterday's stories so there's also ugly stuff a lot of ugly stuff and some people really can't take it well what they see and what they experience some people really have a hard time I believe it depends on your background, where you are, and if this is the right thing for you at the point or not. For instance, I saw ugly stuff as well quite a few times, but I didn't take it as bad or threatening. It was just like, okay, like a good movie, uh-huh. That's, in fact, the first night was like, uh-huh, if I look like this, it's like this. If I look like that, it's like that. If I change my perspective a tiny little bit, I can see the other side of the coin very clearly. And the interesting thing is, if I go back to my first point of view, I can see this side too. So I, I got like um, a higher perspective of the things, but uh, it was very interesting. Let's see, 
let's say, I would see, you know, colors you can't even imagine and shapes and, and changing shapes like unlimited creativity. I was like in awe, like, wow. And, and then I would kind of change my position. And I'm not sure if I did this in my, with my physical body, if I changed my, uh, my head position or not, I have no clue. But um, I would look from a different angle and then I would see brown, black, gray, dark, like ooh, lower, lower, lower stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the movie Les Miserables, which was originally an opera? Mm-hmm. Yes, a little bit like the pest, you know. And and then that was my first night. My first night was oh, interesting. That's how duality works. It is really true the perspective thing. I've seen it. I felt it. And as as soon as we can detach from judging into good and bad, bang. It's all good. It's all right. it all good. and it's okay the way it is, no matter if it's Les Miserables or another movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, that was my first experience. Yeah, I would say the most important thing I've learned from meditation is to separate myself from my thoughts and not judge them as good or bad and just let them be. It sounds like it's pretty similar with the ayahuasca. Yes. Yes, it's uh, pretty similar. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, I don't think you you don't really think mm-hmm. much, but some people have a real hard time. I suppose there is like an inner resistance. I did not experience this. So no matter how ugly, bad and painful the experiences were at some point I bit my own hand in like in the physical body. Right. Mm-hmm. I bit my own hand because I had such a pain. And in the ceremony, I was kind of giving birth to myself, like real weird stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. And, um, cool. well, you know, it's pretty cool, but what I see, I'm still in contact with uh, with one of the shamans. He calls me every once in a while, and there's like very sweet things happening um, where you where I can only say that stuff is real. <laughs> like one, one thing um, that's happening, for instance, uh, one night, uh, one morning, I wake up and I hear this music in my in my ears, and I'm thinking, where's this coming from? Do I know this song? I haven't heard this ever before. So I recorded it on my phone and I went to the shaman and I told him, look what I heard. Did you sing this last night? And I didn't realize he says, no, no. But then he turned on his phone, turns out a colleague shaman from of his, from Pucallpa, that very same night sang the song that I was hearing and, and uh, recording like really weird. Hmm. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, so what does this mean? Does this change your view of reality and of consciousness and how our minds work? That's a really great question. Because what, is, what it has done for me is it has confirmed 
over and over and over again what I knew deep down inside and only my thinking mind was starting to doubt and still sometimes gets into this doubting, questioning mode. What I'm saying is it hasn't really taught me anything new. It was a confirmation, a confirmation. Relax. It's all good. It's all right. Like when you are a meditator, when you're in deep meditation, you are at the place of total peace and the right place at the right time. There are no doubts. And ayahuasca has taught me that I can trust into what I know deep down inside. It hasn't really shown or taught me anything n new as such. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this is the the idea that you heard that song in your head and recorded it, and he, this other shaman, was doing it. Do you think that all human beings or our, all our consciousness is just a part of one single consciousness? Absolutely. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. There's only one huge field. And I remember seeing in the ayahuasca ceremonies, I always, I'm very visual, but not always I saw something. Sometimes I didn't see at all. I just felt or I... Uh, I, I, it was like seeing your own body inside, but usually I saw something outside with like a, like a huge circus tent, a big round globe kind of thing. And it was very clear that this big, big, huge round globe, like, like a, a hemisphere of, you know, endless skies and stars and stuff. It was clear that this is not the end, that beyond this, it continues and it continues. And I was okay with not knowing how many more globes of these are out there. It was like one big field, and I don't need to know everything. That was my big experience. Wow. Uh -huh. And I must say, ayahuasca is uh, like a hype today, and it has been taken, out, out of my perspective, it has been taken out of context because originally, it was only the shamans who would take ayahuasca. They would take ayahuasca and, and the people would be in the space. They don't even have to be in the same room to shift things, you know, mm -hmm. in this field. And so, nowadays, it's a big hype and yeah. everybody wants to do ayahuasca. And I also got almost hooked, like, because my when I came back to, let's say everyday's life mm -hmm. totally retreated really in the middle of nowhere no phone connection no computer i didn't even read or anything i, I was just being there in the middle of nowhere kind of feeling the plants <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the i almost got hooked because there was this curiosity I want to see if there's more. I go back. I want to see if there's more. What else is there? And then the experiences during the ceremony kind of repeated themselves. 
Then I started going to ceremony without taking ayahuasca as well as an ex experiment. And I felt like as if I had taken it. I always, I also got into this space. And lying there uh, in the ceremony next to other people, I could feel other people's stuff, you know, what they were going through. Not everybody does that, I suppose. Wherever you are, this is where you are in, in your mm, current state of, I don't want to say development, but maybe a state of consciousness, level of mm, being present. Hmm. Yeah, and kind of tuning in. Yeah. So, what do I want to say with this? I think uh, not everybody has to do ayahuasca, and people ask me, uh, what do you think? Shall I do it? This could help me, and so on. There is a big confusion about ayahuasca because people think, oh, I go to ayahuasca and uh, that stuff's going to heal me, erase my past, and and uh, and then I'm enlightened kind of thing, no? like a, the magical drug, the, the uh the red or the blue drug kind of pill kind of thing. In the matrix, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we all want. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not ha it's not like that. Yeah. However, what you have seen, you can't make unseen, right? For instance, this beautiful, well, maybe you have this sometimes in meditation, this sense of awe, of bliss. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. You know, uh, it's like I remember having this after a ceremony when I went home. For me, it always took me like an hour or two longer than everybody else to be able to get back into my body, into my physical body. I was back, let's say, uh, my consciousness was back in, in this regular perception mode and I could feel my body but I just couldn't use it. <laughs> so I would go uh, with my hands on the ground and lift my butt up in the air in order to get up. And when I tried to lift my body, I started moving so badly that I had to go back down. And everybody else was going home like at two o'clock in the night in the middle of the jungle there. Everybody had an own hut far away from the other huts, very cute little round huts. And, uh, always a guide would bring you to your to your hut because it's very easy in the middle of the night and also in the day to get lost in the jungle. So I was safe, but I often, it took me forever to get back into the body and my mind would go, I want to go home now. I want to go in my bed. But the body said, no, you're going to rest a little longer. Hmm. And uh, it's super interesting to observe this. And the book that I've been writing about this, because each time after ceremony, I tried as far as possible to write down what I had seen or felt in a few words, because it was really, really, really hard to use a pencil and my fingers to write down. And also, I, you feel sick, you feel seriously sick, you know, to get back into this bit and stuff for me was really, really hard. Some people, everybody experiences this uh, differently. 
But uh, I made little notes of each ceremony. And then uh, after two years after coming back, I had this strong feeling I want to go back into those notes and write them down in the computer to kind of not lose it again. <laughs> and when I started, uh, it made sense to me that according to your own background story, let's say where you come from, what you've experienced and all these things, what your stresses are, what your traumas were, and so on. According to your background, you have your perspective is different. And it works like miraculously according to what you can take, you're getting. You're not getting more. So some people got huge insights and others got small insights which were huge for them in their development. Wow. So that was really sweet. So this is why when I started writing it down in the computer, I, I realized, wow, this could be important for people to read. I might as well write the whole thing in such a way that other people can understand. Mm -hmm. So, and th this was, so I st had started writing and then I decided I want to write a book now after starting um, and describe the background story, because that's the important part for our thinking mind to, to realize, aha, this is how I created this filter. This is how I created this self-image. This is how I created a belief. And this is why it's just a belief and it's got nothing to do with the truth. Right. This is how this came to happen. So what are some of the healing effects of ayahuasca? Like, How does it affect you and change or improve your everyday life after the experience? I was quite quiet when I got back, like easygoing, no worries. It didn't last forever. However, I could easier remember, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say I could easier remember. So today it is so it's easier for me when things in the outside world become critical, and I do get challenges as well. Like all, not all the time, but whenever I guess I'm ready for the next step, <laughs> um, and I can. I can look at things with more distance without, without being so overwhelmed and taken away. It's not always like this, but it's not so hard as it used to be to remember. Mm -hmm. So, um, has it made you less or less afraid of death or less afraid of living? Oh, that's a sweet question. <laughs> I like the second part. Less, rather less afraid of living, yeah. yes. <laughs> I wasn't that afraid of death. Um, that afraid of... I'm certainly afraid of the process of no longer getting air in the lungs and leaving the body behind. Other mm -hmm. than this, I'm rather, let's say, curious what happens next. 
uh, when it comes to dying. Uh, however, living, yes, it has changed something in terms of living because um, I'm more and more aware that I can't continue living up to the stories that have been that have been drawn into my mind by whoever, you know, mm-hmm. I can't. I can't continue living according to ideas that I that don't resonate in my heart. And let's say to me, the real work starts afterwards in everyday's life. And how how does that happen? Like, like what changes are have occurred in everyday life? Changes in everyday life. Whoa, you really want to know? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Oh, um, let me see. That was 2015. Uh-huh. I came back to here. First thing, I bump into my future partner that I had seen in the ceremony. And it was clear that we would be sharing some time together, but not the rest of our lives. Anyway, so the first thing was like a couple of weeks, maybe a month later. I didn't even think about it. No, I came back and uh, I was constantly traveling somewhere else. That was the first thing. Uh, and my regular mind would mindset would say, you can't just travel around. you got a world. <laughs> But it just happened. It just happened. And I hardly spent any money. You know, there were these tickets next to nothing. Friends inviting me to Madrid and to Mabea and to Austria and don't know what people. I, I, uh, I did not expect to invite me. It just happened. And then uh, I got involved into music out of the blue. And then I, I started writing lyrics ever since I write lyrics like a whole book full of lyrics and I'm const- not constantly but I'm doing things that I enjoy I'm exploring with a childish curiosity for instance last year I started slacklining and, and I find this so interesting uh, you know who gets the idea of starting slacklining at 50. Nobody <laughs> does. And it's just it kind of everything just happened. And I'm saying yes. And uh, I'm learning and I'm still learning to switch my modus operandum, let's say, from thinking to feeling. And that's the hard work for let's say an industrialized child. (laughs) (laughs) Do you find yourself living more intuitively rather than thinking? Um, I do, but the thinking certainly hasn't stopped. (laughs) Uh I do, I do, well, really like things have happened after this book, well, now it's with the music. I'm now uh, into, I mean, I've been writing song lyrics and 
I never thought about making something like serious out of this. And now it kind of just happens. And I'm going along and my heart beats. Every day is exciting. And some t- and, and I do have uh, moments of uh, lows, let's say. However, the doubting mind as such, like it used to, I would recognize right away, uh-huh, that's monkey mind screaming up. And I'm okay with saying, relax, it's okay. You know, yes, yeah. and not giving all the power to the little monkey that certainly has happened. That's awesome, you know. Um, I don't know, I have my good days and bad days with this damn monkey, <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Sometimes the monkey gets me, sometimes I'm able to control the monkey, <laughs> right? And, and that's that's also the funky thing because, um, ah. <sighs> Controlling the monkey, it's like uh, you're back in the prison, right? Mm-hmm. You're back in the prison. Uh, controlling is not the right thing. It, it's, uh, let's say, it's really sweet if you can have a more playful approach to live with a monkey without killing it. Right. <laughs> that, 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 that's true too because like the more you try to control the monkey the worse the monkey gets so it's oh, almost like you know it's almost like you have to give the monkey some bananas <laughs> it's a pity we don't have a picture because you know i usually work as a coach and uh the one book i wrote is called monkey mind funny enough and the, but it's in german language only and on the uh the cover there's a uh a image of a monkey a drawn monkey which has a huge banana carries a huge banana over his its head (laughs) this is metaphor a lot in coaching as well uh, which is um the monkey mind works like this right if there was a hole in the wall hole in the wall and on the other side of the hole there's this banana lying on the table there on the other side of the hole and here's the monkey sees the banana puts his hand through the hole, grabs the banana, and now he's stuck because he can't go back, correct? Mm-hmm. Through this little hole. You got the picture? Yeah. Uh-huh. And he just doesn't want to let go. And this is how he gets stuck. Now, if we manage to convince the monkey to relax his hand just for a little bit, he could go back and, and realize... Oh, I can also go through the door to get the banana in a very relaxed way or whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I guess you know, even as a meditator, we have people always say, "Oh, I can't stop my thinking," and I, well, that's not really the point of meditation. You're never going to stop your thinking. <laughs> yeah. it, it's changing the way you look at your thinking, letting your thinking control or, or or take over you know i think it's a realization that i am not my thoughts exactly that's uh, i i see it uh, the same way like um my thoughts are just tools for me to live in this dimension kind of thing to calculate the bills or whatever uh, and, and things like that but it's not let's say it's my tool it's not what i am or who i am 
I think this is what makes us stuck when we identify with all these thoughts. Uh, I mean, I have a, a sweet little lyric uh, in one of my songs that says, how can we believe that all we're thinking was really true, knowing that all that bullshit got there in the first place by copying all we see? Right. You know? Yeah. 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 So that's just little tools like, or I like this metaphor of the rider of a horse and to take over the reins again. And the horse, which is in that sense would be, let's say, the ego mind, think, the thinking mind, the horse is big and powerful and very scared. And it's up to us to be the rider of the horse in terms of you, you guide uh, the mind uh, or the thinking mind in the right direction and not... Um, have other people ride your horse, right? Mm -hmm. And be uh, be totally manipulated by the external world. Yeah, that's definitely that is another really good analogy. You know, is sort of taking the reins of the yes. mind rather than the mind just running us all over town, making a mess of things. Exactly. I don't want to kill that horse either. No. When I was uh, younger, I always thought, oh, I wish I could kill that ego and this is my enemy. What is this for anyway? It's just messing up everything. This is so complicated. Who the heck needs this? And bah, 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 no? mm -hmm. and, and then I realized, wow, uh, it does serve something. It's good to be scared at times. It's good to be angry at times. Right? It's mm -hmm. important to be angry when somebody threatens you or, or whatever, or doesn't respect boundaries and so on. We need all these things. It's nature works in, uh, in, in a perfect way. Nothing is for nothing. We're just equipped with something and we need to kind of remember how to use that stuff instead of having being in a in an automized roller coaster and, and without you directing your life and saying this you directing your life as i say this it's also i don't really how should i say i very much realize how i am directing my, my life however i have no clue well, this is leading to right. <laughs> what I'm going to do next, what's, uh, what tomorrow is going to bring, and all this. Even my my big dreams and wishes are, say, humble ones, more humble ones. It's more about using my gifts to the best. Yeah, and uh, and relatively, I'm relatively open to the outcome. My prayer is. Let me be your instrument. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're here for, basically, is to, to create whatever it is we're supposed to create on this earth or in our consciousness. Right. You know, and, and it's easy to get lost in the materialism and the society that we have now um, and get away from that. What do you think of now with the commercialism 
of using things like ayahuasca and DMT? That's a big question. Um, generally, I think things are uh, going in the wrong direction. It's nothing to be commercialized. Uh, you don't want to, I don't know, wisdom or insights and spirituality and stuff. Uh, it's nothing to sell, <laughs> right? Right, and it's I, I not, agree. It's not a market kind of thing. However, of course, people want solutions and stuff. But uh, it has, it, it went a little uh, too far, I think. Uh, however, I know of medical, medically accompanied ayahuasca uh, ceremonies. Uh, how should I say? Let's say, for instance, I'm going to throw a name in. Uh, this name is Gabor Mate. He's a psychologist or doctor physician from Canada, and he's done a lot of research with ayahuasca. And uh, and they have great uh, great um, results with ayahuasca. People who have been suffering from anxiety, depression, burnout—you name it. However, it doesn't work all the time either. It feels like to me that this drug or uh, this uh, natural remedy uh, gives to the people what they can take in the moment, and some people don't seem to be ready. For instance, when I was there, there was a girl, she was three months there, and she had been, she was in her late 20s, and she had been diagnosed with depression. And before she went to this retreat center, she went to another retreat center. So she's been doing this forever. And uh, something inside of her just couldn't let go of this image, this self-image and so on. So she was, I don't know how many ceremonies she did and uh, and nothing happened during this time. So I figured that's not the right approach. You can't force, you, you can't squeeze something out like, you know, the typical Western approach of you work harder on it and you get it kind of thing. That's exactly the opposite. So um, the commercialization, I find it very critical. It's uh, it's almost become a party drug, you know. Right. And also people, you know, people go in the jungle and they do what I did and then they come back and they say they are shamans and, and they have some ayahuasca shipped in and they do their ceremonies and it's kind of cool, but heck, it's uh, it's dangerous as well. People can have horrible times. People can get I want, yes, people can get nuts. Mm -hmm. When I was there, there was a guy from France and he had OCD, it's called obsessive OCD, I think, is it? Uh, yeah, obsessive oh compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And uh, he did ayahuasca and it wasn't the right thing for him to do. So <clears> one <throat> night I'm lying in bed and he, uh, he went through the jungle all by, by himself in total despair searching and he knocked at my door and it was four o'clock in the morning but i recognized his voice and I, I thought i couldn't leave this guy all by himself in the jungle in total despair at four o'clock in the morning so i went down opened the door and i and he sat down and he started talking oh and and i at the beginning as a coach you know i i um i tend to 
understand people and to be and be compassionate. But with him, I realized there is no point in trying to understand a mind that's going round and round and round and round in circles. So all it took for him is was somebody to be there, and he could just let it all out until the morning, and then he could relax a little. So for him, it was quite a nightmare. This whole ayahuasca journey, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's uh, it's not. Uh, there is a, a danger as well. Like I said, there is always. There were always two shamans to hold the space and to protect the space. Yeah. And I, I think uh, it's quite blue-eyed to use it as a as a party drug. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that, 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 that's something that sort of happens here now. Is it seems like people go to South America, do it, they come here, come back, and they start making it themselves or getting it shipped in, and you know they charge people to come in and lay on the floor of an of an apartment, basically, and and do ayahuasca, and most of them just come out sick. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't uh, agree with this all. However, you know, I guess it's better than heroin or coke. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Um. Do you think that there's, like, what other alternatives do you think people can try other than ayahuasca? I mean, since it's not available to everybody, do you think like? using different forms of meditation, um, maybe even like isolation tanks. Um, you know, there's all different ways now to, to have, you know, yeah. spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. There's so many things and uh, there's so many. I mean, there are other shamanic drugs like, um, what's that mushroom called again? Uh, and this uh, cactus. Mm-hmm. Uh, San Pedro, more female, more male. No, don't know what. But again, this is this is uh, Amazon, right? Right. And uh, something that's available here. And for instance, yeah, meditation is. Let's say it just requires so much consistency and patience, right? Mm-hmm. That's uh, meditation is probably the golden path. I would think. Um, other than this, to have a quick, let's say, to open up that needle towards that needle I was talking, the eye of the needle. Uh, for instance, a sweet experience to you can have, for instance, with uh, singing bowl meditations or singing bowl massages. You know, when they put the bowl on your body and you mm-hmm. can feel the vibration. That, for instance, I find a very simple way to shift, to shift from thinking to feeling from the material world into, let's say, the the perceived world through your filters to feeling what is. Because there's singing bowls, you can't deny the vibration. (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Have you ever had one? I've never had one. No, I mean, I mean, I have a singing bowl, but I've never tried using it on my body. No. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite intense. Yes. Or uh, music as such. Music is like a harp. If you if you listen to a harp, you can get into a trancey state, right? Mm-hmm. Drumming, drumming, like um, djembe or you know the shamanic drums, those big drums. Yeah, that come with a very very monotonous sound, like and then you you also kind of let go and drop into the here and now and feel more yeah yeah and I, 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 I it, agree that that music definitely in vibration definitely do it like I'm a musician myself I play guitar and have always played and I think some a lot of my early experiences were just playing music and sort of just getting in a groove and all of a sudden an hour has passed and it seems like it's five minutes yes yes Anything that opens your heart as well, right? This whole opening your heart thing, I think um, that's also tricky because some people, let's say uh, not some people, almost everybody, we have an idea and we thrill on this idea and we think this is a heart desire. But it's just, (laughs) excuse my language, like mindfuck. So you can you can take it to this way, you can take it to that way. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I want to say with it? Right. Yeah, you don't know. But uh, yeah, it's, well, it's amazing. We can get so excited about uh, certain things, but it's not really resonating in your heart. It's just a thrill, a mental thrill kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, I want that too kind of thing but you don't feel it in the heart, really, really feel it in the heart. You just get super excited. And this, to feel it in the heart, how to get back to that, that's all it takes. That's all we need, really. Yeah, opening that heart space and dropping from thinking to feeling. What is the one of the big differences between doing a drug like ayahuasca or DMT or mushrooms and the experience of lucid dreaming? Oh, lucid dreaming. I do suppose that I have been lucid dreaming. Well, uh, and it to me, it feels like Lucid dreaming, I'm more like still whole. It's not just, it's the whole thing. I'm aware of the dream. I'm the dreamer. I'm, I'm the one who projects the dream. I'm one, the one who receives the dream. And I'm one who plays the dream kind of thing. And in ayahuasca or other drugs, let's see. Hmm. I'm not. Uh, I am not experienced with many other drugs. I remember I did once magic mushrooms mm-hmm. when I was I don't know in my twenties or so, 
And at that time, I remember I saw colors more intense and so on. But my thinking mind was saying, all right, the green is greener than green and everything is more beautiful. But do I need to take drugs for that? Kind of, that was my <laughs> perspective at the time. And um, the difference to lucid dreaming. Hmm. I mean, um, oh, that's a, a very interesting question. Because, well, in the ayahuasca ceremony at times, couldn't say. I couldn't say for sure what mm -hmm. the difference was. When I hear the description, the reason I ask is when I hear the descriptions of ayahuasca experience, to me it sounds very similar to lucid dreaming. Uh-huh. It seems very similar. Exactly. I can't tell you right now uh, what's the difference. Because uh, in ayahuasca, yeah, it's just like the, 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 um, this filter of the habitual thinking mind is taken out and you yeah i think there is not that much of a difference really mm. Mm -hmm. do you think that um one, one of the common things at least here in the united states that they're experimenting with is using ayahuasca as a cure for other drug addictions like for to get people off of heroin and coke and stuff like that. Well, do, you, do, you think, it, hmm? do you think it's effective in that type of modality? I cannot tell you if it is effective. I can only share my ex, uh, experiences or what I have been witnessing. For instance, when I got there, there was a guy and he was kind of addicted to anything, all kinds of drugs. Not heroin, I'm not sure about, but definitely cocaine, marijuana, pills, mm. sex, uh, games, all kinds of things. He was a beautiful young kid from America. And uh, he had been there participating in ceremonies for, for the ceremonies or something. Uh, and when I arrived, he had taken a break. It was Christmas or New Year's. It was New Year's. Uh, and he went into Iquitos, into the town, and he just took like two days off, and he did alcohol and marijuana only. And then he went back to the retreat center, and then his future ceremonies were hell. He screamed in the day, so he fell really, really back, but he went all the way through and he continued, and I do think it ha does have a positive impact uh, to let go of of drug abuse, like um, because you become more compassionate with yourself. You, for instance, um, you understand yourself better. Instead of seeking a remedy from feeling the pain. In ayahuasca, there is no there is no stop button. You can't just stop and uh, smoke pot or take a, a painkiller, right? Like what right. we do in regular life. When you're doing ayahuasca, there is no stop, and it takes a long time for this thing to stop again. So uh, it kind of teaches you to go through the pain, and uh, also as well. And 
I think this is something you don't need to take ayahuasca for that. As a coach, I'm I my job is to to make it appealing to people to be curious what the pain wants to tell you and stuff like that. It's very hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, yes, I think it can it it can be good for that definitely. But I would not do it just with anybody, either with a, a medical doctor, you know, like this uh, Gabo Mate, research Gabo Mate. Uh, and also, even in the jungle, there's so much. I mean, it's a hype, you know, everywhere there's ayahuasca retreat centers spreading in the jungle. And mostly they are organized by Westerners who like the idea and who market it. And some are great. And others might be not so great. Yeah, it's risky. Hmm. If but if you're a, a more or less healthy person, there's no reason to get crazy or something. However, you might have a hard time. Yeah. Um, one one of the things I've also heard with people who've done ayahuasca is they say that they've encountered multi-dimensional beings have you had that experience multi-dimensional beings hmm that's a big word yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i have i have had experiences like giving birth to myself in my own belly and then once i saw a, a, a like a, a bad guy in my own belly and then I saw me being part of a huge soup of ever moving and evolving shapes and stuff. I guess this could be called multidimensional beings. There's no limit to creativity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so how did this experience change the way you do coaching? I do coaching more. It's much easier for me to, to say to people, um, for instance, no. <laughs> Whereas before, I always felt, oh, somebody needs help and they're coming to me, so I should help them. But now I trust my guts because some people do need therapy, right? Especially. Uh, when they are on, on antidepressive anti, anti drugs, mm -hmm. um, it's much. I can be much more clear, clear, sharp without being hard. Before I would have been more. Walking on eggshells, you know what that means? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah, like, uh, and now I can address all these ego things a little more directly without the without being afraid of of um, hurting anybody and so on. And it's and I do not hurt any. Before I would have been afraid, you know. You uh, this walking on eggshells. So to break through that nut kind of thing, 
and now I'm I'm much more relaxed. And uh, I tell people right away that I'm not going to do anything. I'm just accompanying them to get on their own feet and to remember their own power and all this. And there's nothing, um, there's nothing spectacular, miraculous about this. It's a natural flow. And I can help them go through this little eye of the needle. I can give them a hand, but at the end of the day, they're going to do it all by themselves. So coaching for me has become more, more clear, more direct. I say more often no when I think a certain person needs, for instance, therapy mm -hmm. or or need, or is just not ready, you know. There's people who, who give me, give me, give me, I want, I want, I want, I pay, but I can feel they're not ready to do the work inside of them. And then I cannot make them get ready. It's just not the time. And then I just um, tell them that I think this is not the right thing right now. Mm. Um, has it made you made it easier f for you to be more open, compassionate, and loving? To be honest with you, I have been quite open, compassionate, and loving before. And yeah, I've always been quite open, compassionate, and loving. I guess it's more about being even more open, compassionate, and loving with myself even more that's more a personal thing than an external thing yes, huh. yes. i guess you're lucky to already have come from that that place because I, I think that's something like i know for me um especially when i was younger because in my 20s i was i was hard on myself and i was hard on other people too i was kind of brutal and mm -hmm. it wasn't until I got older that I started to soften up and and become more open to to love and compassion and and just a more a, a softer way of life yeah you know uh, for instance all this talking about accepting yourself as you are right as big big words accepting yourself as you are to me it comes down to um, being there and staying there when you are fearful when you are angry all this stuff that we don't like this let's say call them ugly emotions right but right. still being there as if it was joy and saying all right I'm going to dive in to see what this wants to tell me now. Mm -hmm. And go, let's say go through the pain of yeah. those feelings. Uh, and this to me is compassion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is. Uh, and, and that was like another thing that I wrestled with when I was younger. Is I, I didn't like those bad feelings. So I did everything to avoid them. Like the guy that you were talking about who was addicted to drugs and everything, that was like sort of like the way I was when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And um, 
You know, it wasn't until I started meditating and learning how to sit and be with it that I realized, oh, these are just thoughts and feelings. They're not necessarily anything else, and I can, I can be with them. Mm-hmm. This uh, opening space and and holding space for your own feelings, right? Mm-hmm. That's a bit the path, and uh, let's say. With or without ayahuasca, that's always the path. Interesting. Yeah. And this, uh, and and no drug can take this away. Mm-hmm. That work. No. Right. Um. So before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you? Uh, anywhere online, really. Um, me personally, you're saying as a, oh, as a your website or your oh, books. Okay. Yes, oh, because the book is anywhere on online uh, as an audio book and as a a regular book on the you know Audible or whatever they mm-hmm. call it, all the stores and Amazon. Or right, and it's the podcast. headless chicken, correct? Headless chicken, but you gotta uh, know my name. That's Manuela, and then Sturza, Storzer, S T O E R Z E R, but it's easier. To remember to go via my um, either Instagram, there I'm walking guru, walking guru, and uh, my website is uh, www.thewalkingguru.org. Awesome. That's it. Mm-hmm. And know- I also have a Facebook page, which is Manuela Sturza, but and the website uh, or on Instagram. Probably the easiest Instagram walking guru, walking guru, because the idea is you walk your path, you are your guru, mm-hmm. and that's what I totally believe in. Like we got it all inside of us, <laughs> uh-huh. but it takes freaking patience to <laughs> sit down and listen and shut up. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing how hard it is to. Do nothing. Yes. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's a reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? Yeah. They say, if you want to want to be uh, really good at something, teach it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. it yeah. It, it's, it's funny, too. Like, I, I imagine you have this problem, like, where, well, not problem, but experience where, where clients come to you and they want something to do and that something to do is don't do anything mm-hmm. and right away kind of mess up their expectation right it just however uh, i have i created a whole bunch of uh, exercises mm-hmm. uh, which is which are basically doing nothing but it keeps their mind busy and uh, i wrote a little another little book which is called logbook that's also in German, but I do have it only as an ebook and only via my ve- website in English to logbook. And it's a little booklet with um, exercises. It's like getting into hypnotic writing. So you would start writing without thinking about it and see what comes out. It's a form of meditation for those people who really have a hard time to sit down, you know, who get nervous sitting down and all this. So uh, I wrote a little book. This is called Logbook, but you in English only via www.thewalkingguru.org. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, the writing exercises. This is a way to start doing nothing by writing without thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a, a lot of spiritual paths are kind of like that. They give you a bunch of stuff to do, but you're really doing nothing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah, and and the whole idea is um, so you can start being with you inside of yourself and not so distracted, right? Mm -hmm. And that's all, all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, yeah, thank you. Sense. Thank you for coming on today. This was an awesome interview. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Great. And just hang on one second and I'm going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. And it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.